welcome. We are in the series Reclaim the Table, and we are talking about that we brought it back from four years ago. I enjoyed it then. I'm enjoying it even more now. And uh, just want to remind you in this series, we're asking you to try to eat three meals together uh, per week as a family. I got to say that that was really easy for Becca and I to do, being empty nesters. It was way harder when the kids were younger. Uh, We want you to pray over every meal, whether you're out in public, whether you're in the school, whether you're in a corporate boardroom, wherever you're at, we want you to pray in public and uh, to be able to pray over your meal. And uh, I was doing that again this week and trying to, I was trying to like make sure that everybody knew, but you know, I was trying to be a little more official. You know what I'm saying? So I was trying to do that. And then of course, we're asking you to use the hashtag reclaim the table. We're asking you to do that. Hashtag reclaim the table. And each week on Thursday, they're drawing two winners. And this last week, we uh, gave them three meals from HelloFresh and uh, went to Jennifer Finstead and Liz Wagner. And we're drawing one on Instagram and one on Facebook. So come on, help us get the word out. I loved it. Uh, Right after service, I noticed all the reclaim the table hashtags that were out there. And I absolutely enjoy this. Uh, I was getting testimonies from people. Uh, I had somebody uh, email me saying like, I deal with people that have eating disorders and uh, actually wanna maybe utilize that next year in in our series next year that we're looking at something. And then uh, I had people saying, hey, you may not realize this, I got saved at a table. I found out that one of our friends actually gave their life to Jesus because of a potluck that was held with Christians. They said, hey, let's do like a a monthly potluck and get together a weekly potluck they did. And they got together and the whole purpose was to share their faith with some friends of ours that finally said yes to Jesus. So I said, that's like potluck entrapment. No, I'm just kidding. It's outreach. I loved it. I loved it. And they said, let's do this. Um, And then I had people saying they've been praying, they've had meals. Uh, Unfortunately, some people said we were fighting at the table talking about those cards. And, And I don't know what they talked about, but use those cards. But love this series. And uh, speaking of eating together, uh, scholar George Meyerson said this. He said, if you get to eat together with people you love in the sun, you have won the lottery of life. Think about that. How blessed are you that you have all the food that you have, that you get to eat with the people that you love and enjoy that. We are blessed. It feels like we have won the lottery of life. And I want to say that uh, we're going to stick with the theme of discipleship today, the fact that we're going to use the table to train people. And we're going to look into the Bible and see how uh, the festivals and the food that God talked about helped people to be discipled. What does that mean? It meant they were growing in the ways of God. They were aligning their lives with the things of God. They were growing in the things. They were training themselves to be more like God. So at the table, we're going to see that God had for Jewish people, he had festivals for them to be discipled in, for them to grow, and God used food as an object lesson. So today, as we look at this, I want you to realize we're going to know God better. We're going to know God better by looking at this, and we're going to, the food will preach to us. Now, I have a table over here. I think they can put it on video so all the campuses can see it here. I, I feel like I'm running a cooking show, all right? Um, I've got stuff, and I'll, and I'll show you what's going on with all the things that they were doing. Um, but I love that there was, there was just the object lessons, and I'm not opposed to that. I mean, I think so many times we try to preach and get so fancy, and then when I look in the Bible and I see how God was talking to him, he's like, take a branch and use that branch to do this. Take this fruit and use this to remember this. And I'm telling you, I love having these object lessons. So, um, and we know this. How many know that food triggers memories in our mind, and it's a good thing? There are certain foods that if you eat them, it'll, it'll bring you to a place. Um, our family is German, and uh, my mom makes stuffed cabbage, all right? All right, and, I, and, if, and some of you made some faces. 
it smells as bad as you think it does, all right? It smells, my wife does not want it in her house. She's like, you'll eat that at your mom's house, all right? And she stays home and I don't know what she eats, but we eat stuffed cabbage. And, and the other day, my mom made some stuffed cabbage soup, you know, because it was way easier than the stuffed cabbage. And so she said, I made this soup. I want, what do you think of it? And I said, it is close. It just reminds me that I'm missing stuffed cabbage. So how many know stuffed cabbage is in my future, right? Yeah. But it reminds me of this because um, a, a friend of my mom's, he had tasted her stuffed cabbage. She had made it for a dinner party. And he said, that's incredible. And he said, I want to eat that for the rest of my life, but I'm already married, so I can't marry you. Um, he said, I'm going to find a friend of mine to marry you so I can have stuffed cabbage for the rest of my life. And he actually introduced my mom and dad to each other. And he's had stuffed cabbage for life. And Pastor Rob was part of the process. All right, so, yeah. <laughs> So it, it, stuffed cabbage reminds me of their story of finding each other. See, because here's the thing. When we use food like that, we, we tell the stories. See, we're wired for stories. We are. We are wired for stories. And Leonard Sweet said this, we become our stories. We become our stories. So God's saying, use this food, tell stories, let the children be discipled, let them become these stories. Now, our family has more things. Um, we have North Dakota sausage. It's from Wishick. It reminds us where we're from. Uh, when we eat mahi-mahi fish, it reminds us of our annual fishing trip. We love it. And you have these things too. How many know that I could just say turkey, stuffing, mashed potatoes? Where are we going with that? Thanksgiving, right? It's coming up. Ham dinner. Where, where are we at? Are you with me on Christmas? Okay, yeah. All right. Um, Lutefisk meatballs. Don't invite me. All right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's Norwegian. Okay, here's one. Where are we going with this? Cheese curds, pork chop on a stick, sweet Martha's cookies. Oh, yeah, and it's passed. You got a year to wait. I got to tell you this. Our daughter-in-law, Michaela, I don't know, she makes like 70 pounds. I mean, we went by sweet Martha's. She just found a gear. I mean, she found a gear. And I mean, and she was holding that bucket and growling when we took some. I mean, but yeah. Uh, I want to go back just to see her eat those, you know. But... The Bible has special days that are there and special foods, and it helps bring them back. How many know that life gets so busy that, that you start forgetting what's important? You start forgetting. And God didn't want his people to forget. He didn't want to forget what he had done for them, what they were called to do, and he wanted them to tell the story. And so they'd eat the food and they'd have these moments together. Now, I want to be clear as we look at these festivals, we are not commanded to celebrate these festivals, okay? We can do that if we want, but we're not commanded anymore to do that, but they were in the Old Testament time. Now, what we are commanded to do I want to be very clear. What we are commanded to do is to do water baptism, which is so beautiful to see. We have it at, at all of our different campuses. We are commanded to do that. And we are commanded with a food item. We are commanded with communion. The Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about that um, we, we receive these communion elements. This bread symbolizes the body of Jesus Christ. This cup symbolizes the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we are commanded with these food elements. How many know when you have these things together, there's something that it just reminds you that Jesus Christ paid for the price for my sins. It's a beautiful thing. 
I'm thinking about the communion element for just a moment. In, in Philadelphia, they banned um, churches from feeding the homeless for a while. You may not know this, but years ago, they banned them from feeding the homeless. And the church was trying to figure out what could they do to feed the homeless. So they actually got the juice and they got loaves of bread. They prayed over it, said it was communion and said to the police, we dare you to arrest us for serving them communion. How, I like that, kind of creative, but... This symbolizes this, and it takes us there. It helps us to remember that, that his body was broken, his blood was shed. Now, I just want to share this. We do serve grape juice and not wine. And I just want to share why we do that. Um, we have people that are in recovery ministry, and we don't want anyone to stumble. We don't want to put something in their way. We also know that minors do receive communion. And so we've decided as a church that we're going to stand with those people and say, hey, we're going to serve grape juice, and we're going to have this open to the children. We're also going to not ever put a stumbling block before somebody that would have that. Now, other churches can do wine. There's no condemnation there. But I just wanted you to understand why we do that with our church. Now, we do this. And... Um, I do want to say that as we do communion, um, it's a celebration. I think that culturally we've conditioned ourselves to go somber. How many know what I'm talking about? It's like we get to communion. It's usually at the slowest song and the pastor comes up and he finds his deepest voice. And he's like, you know, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? All right. So here's what I say. It's victory. It's victory. We're celebrating victory. He paid the price. We got in on grace. And now our sins are forgiven. And we're proclaiming that his promises are true. So at least for the next communion, at all campuses, campus pastors, pay attention. At, at the, your next communion, I want it to be earlier in the service. I want it to be during the fast songs. And I want it to be victory. I want you to take the communion and say, we're passing these out today and we celebrate victory. I don't care if you say, say victory, victory, say forgiven, forgiven. Yeah, I, I don't, I, 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 I'm okay with that. I'm okay. And, I, and right now I can just feel there's people like, we're not coming to that week. I know. <laughs> It's okay. It's okay. We're celebrating victory and just that once. And if we like it, we'll do it more often. But our next communion, let's do that. And let's do it. So we have things that are our food items for us to remember. And in the Bible, as we look at these festive meals, I want you to understand they point to Jesus. They do. In the Old Testament, everything was pointing to the Messiah, the promised one, who we know as Jesus. So the Old Testament Jewish people would be looking with one eye and they'd be looking forward, trying to see the, the symbolism in the food. Where was it taking them? We as Christians now can look back with the other eye and see that it is Jesus and look back on the food. And when we look both ways, it's a beautiful thing. We understand God better. So as we look at the food, as we look at the festivals, as we look at these things, we're going to understand um, just where it's pointing. Again, it's all pointing to Jesus. And this is not one of the festivals, but let me just point it out to you. In Exodus 25, verse 30, it says, put the bread of the presence on this table to be before me at all times. God was saying in the tabernacle, I want a table there. And on that table, I want bread to be there. And this will be the bread of presence. That bread was pointing to Jesus. So then when Jesus declares in John 6, 35, he says, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. They were connecting the dots. They were understanding the bread of presence was pointing to Jesus. And Jesus comes and says, the bread is here. 
It's right here. So that's what's happening. Now in the book, The Seven Festivals of the Messiah, I used this in my research. I just enjoyed it so much, being able to see all the different things that were there. Edward Chumney, he just gives different things about the festivals and he says this, all the festivals are historic and prophetic. All the festivals teach about Jesus. All the festivals are agricultural in context and all the festivals teach about our relationship with God. Now, again, I'm not an expert on this. I did extra study on this. I love every part of this. And I want to say thank you to Derek Skoglin. He lives in Israel and he actually helped me out with this. But there are seven festivals in the Bible for Jewish people and they were in the fall or in the spring. The three uh, fall festivals would be the, the Feast of Trumpets. Some would say Rosh Hashanah, the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles. The four spring festivals were called Passover, Unleavened Bread, first fruits and the feast of weeks. So I'll start with the fall and then we'll just look at one spring uh, festival, but we'll go through these. The first one was the feast of trumpets. It was just the other day in September. Um, it's found in Leviticus 23. And there's a lot of symbolism there with the return of Jesus. There's, and it starts the Jewish new year. All right. And with this festival, they would actually take apples and they would take these apples in the festival and they take apples and they dip them in honey. And they would say, the apple is tart and the honey is sweet. And in this festival, they would actually say, as they get ready to start the new year in the 10 days of awe, as they're getting ready to go into the new year, they would ask God, is there anyone that I've been tart with? Is there anyone that I have bitterness towards? Is there anyone that I have unconfessed forgiveness toward? God, I want to find those people. I want to ask for forgiveness. I don't want to live a life that is tart towards them. And instead they'd say, God, instead I want to live a life that is sweet towards them. And they would eat that. They would say, I want to be forgiven. How many know that we would live a much better life if every year we would say, God, I don't want to be tart with people. I want to be sweet with people. And we just examined ourselves and said, God, we, we want to use this food to remind us that we need to ask for forgiveness. We want to do this. Another thing that they would do with the honey, they would have this honey. And as I said in week one, where they would say, you know, your word is sweeter than honey. They would commit at the beginning of the year saying, God, I desire to read your word. I desire to know your word. Your word is more precious. It, in Psalm 19, it says, the decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. And they would commit. And I would ask you, how are you doing on your, your Bible reading that we do at church? Soap, scripture, observation, application, prayer. Maybe at the beginning of the year, you should get some honey. And you should say, God, this is the year I'm going to commit to reading your word. Maybe you should start now and just go from now till the rest of the year and recommit again at the beginning of the year. But they'd say, God, we commit. Let it be like honey and let it be sweet. Another thing that they would do is they would take the pomegranate. And if you have a chance to go to Israel, you'll see them. You know, they have pomegranates everywhere and they'll make you a pomegranate drink. And, you know, it's like uh, vitamins for a week. And it's, it's right there. It's just a great drink there. But it's, it's sweet and it's tart. It's, it's, bitter, it's bitter and it's sweet, okay? And you'll, you'll, you'll have the back and forth as you're drinking this and as you're having that. And they would take the pomegranate and they would say, God, we were sweet towards you. Remember, the apple and the honey was towards others. But then they were like, God, we were sweet towards you, but we probably weren't good enough. We were also probably bitter towards you. We probably did a lot of things that you didn't enjoy. We did things that we are saddened by. I'm sure it saddened you. And to you, it was, it was bitter. It, was, it wasn't pleasant. 
God, we desire to be more sweet towards you instead of bitter towards you. We desire to be more obedient towards you and do the right things towards you. God, that's what we want to do. And they'd say, we want to be blessed and not cursed. And they didn't mean cursed in the same way we would say like that cursed, you know. They would say this like cursed meant to be separated from God, to be less like God, to be diminished, to be made smaller. And they're saying, God, we don't want to be made smaller, diminished, further away from you, less like you. We don't want to be cursed like that. We want to be sweet like that. And we want to be sweet towards you and do good things towards you. God, help us to live that type of life. How many know the pomegranate can preach? Okay, so we've got that. So that was the first one. Then they would go into the Day of Atonement. And in Leviticus 23, you would find that. And the food that was there was no food. No food. For 24 hours, no food. They would fast. And on that day, they would realize, we broke your laws. We repent. We eat nothing. We are worthy of nothing. You are worthy of everything. They would then wear all white and they would say, we trust in you and your goodness. If there's any hope for us to be white, to be pure, to be forgiven for what we've done, it's all on you. And so we don't even eat anything. We don't do anything. And we just acknowledge it all comes from you. On that day as well, and I don't have time to go into it, they would also have a scapegoat. You maybe hear somebody say, well, don't make me the scapegoat. That's from the Bible, okay? They would actually take a goat and they would pray and they'd say, may all the sins of these people, as they'd stand from them, be placed upon this goat and we're gonna drive it out into the wilderness. All of our evil be put on that goat and may it be run out into the wilderness. Okay, this is all part of this time for them to remember. Then they had the Feast of Tabernacles in Leviticus 23. And they would gather in the harvest and, and they'd remember the 40 years of wandering and they'd build three-sided tents with an open top and they'd actually stay in that tent. And they wouldn't have actually food, but they would have different plants that were there. They would have different plants. And they would have, the first plant would be the willow plant. And they would hold the willow plant up in this festival and in this ceremony. And they would say, this, this plant doesn't give off a good fragrance and it doesn't have any fruit but it still has a purpose, but it's really not achieving all that it could because there is no great fragrance and there is no fruit. And the fragrance stood for knowing God and the fruit stood for doing good things for God. And they said, this fruit, this, this tree, this tree, it's just there. It doesn't know God and it doesn't do anything for God. It's just the willow. Don't be like the willow. And then they would hold the myrtle up. And they would say this myrtle branch represents just that it smells good. And the myrtle does smell good, but it has no fruit. And it would say this represents people that know God, but never do anything for him. They just study and study. And some of them might even pray and be really pious people. But God doesn't want you just to study him. God wants you to study him and do good things so that people's lives are changed. And they say, don't just be the myrtle. Then they'd find the date palm. And they'd hold the date palm up. And they'd say, this doesn't have a good smell, but it actually produces fruit. They said, this symbolizes people that don't know God, but do good things. And I think our world is full of people that are date palms. They said, well, I do good deeds. I think my good deeds are going to get me in. And they'd say, no, your good deeds aren't going to get you in. It's beautiful that you do good deeds. And people are blessed by your good deeds. And I know people that will tell me, well, I'm better than most of the Christians in your church. And maybe you are. Maybe you are a date palm and you're, making, you're doing all these wonderful things. But you know what? There is no fragrance to God. You don't know God. God's not glorified in your good deeds. 
And they'd say, it's, it's good to do good deeds, but you've got to know God and have good deeds. And they'd take the fourth plant that was like a citrus plant, and they would hold up a, a, this citrus, and they would say, this is a beautiful smelling, beautiful smelling tree, but it also produces fruit. And they would say, you need to know God. You need to get to know him even better, but you need to produce fruit because you're on mission with God and you need to do this. It was a beautiful thing. And I believe each one of us will stand before the Lord someday. And we're going to have to give account. You know, you hear it told the sheep and the goats. But you also, he's going to say, well, you, you, you didn't know me and you didn't do any good. You knew me, but you didn't do good. You, you, you see the point. And I'll tell you what, I want him to say, you knew me and you did good. You, you produced fruit and fragrance. It was the total package there. Now, there are the four spring festivals, and, and I just want to focus on the Passover and let the food preach to us. It's found in Exodus. It's the Seder meal. Um, remember, we talked about last week that the average meal in America is now 12 minutes. You know, the average dinner, 12 minutes. Um, I hope you're doing longer than that. But the Seder, just so you know, four hours. Four hours. All right, so there's a lot of symbolism in there. And, and, and then I think the kids are there at the table. No wonder the Lord had object lessons for the kids, right? You know, they're waiting for the next one. All right, so four-hour meal. And they would have uh, several things. And it, it was remembering their exodus. It was remembering that they were in Egypt, that they were slaves, and that they were delivered. And you hear Passover. See, the Bible tells us in Exodus that the angel of death, the death angel, was flying over Egypt. And any house that did not have the blood of the lamb applied to the doorpost and to the man, if it didn't have it on there, if it didn't, then the death angel would go in and take the life of the firstborn. But if they had the blood on there, he would pass over that house. Passover. And so they remember the Passover that God delivered them. Now remember, all these things are pointing. Did somebody just make the connection? Lamb, blood. You're like, wait a minute, communion. Right. You're, you're tracking. You're tracking. It's all pointing to Jesus. So we'll get to the lamb in just a moment. But they would also have another thing in this, this uh, meal. They would actually have wine and they would take the wine and they would pour it and they would have four cups. And they would have the four cups of the wine and they would celebrate in this moment, pass it around to everyone. And they would say, you know, we've been set apart for God. We have been sanctified. We've been set apart for God. First cup. The second cup would say, God got Egypt out of us. We were set free and we were in bondage and we were set free. You know what they did? They didn't drink that one. They poured that one on the table. They said, God set us free. We pour that. Thank God he got us out of bondage. Then they'd pour the third one and they'd drink that one. They'd say, we are, are redeemed. We've been forgiven. We are on mission for God. Then they'd do the fourth one and they'd say, we're going to praise God. We're going to celebrate his goodness. We're going to enjoy this from now until we get into heaven. It's a beautiful thing that they would do. A friend of mine wrote a book called Four Cups. His name is Chris Hodges. He uses it at his church that basically this procedure, these four cups, we do as well. I'll show you this, okay? So out of Egypt, we say, you know what? God wants to get you saved. He wants you to know Jesus as Lord and Savior out of Egypt. What's the ministry we do at River Valley to help people to get out of Egypt, out of this lostness? We use Alpha as a ministry, as a tool to help people get out of Egypt, to get out of sin, then you say, uh, you, we want to get Egypt out of you. How many know if you've been in Egypt a long time, there's a lot of junk in there. So what do we do at our church? And what does he do at his church? Freedom ministry. 
freedom ministry. We want to get Egypt out of you. See, there's a purpose here that's tied to the, we want to get the Egypt out of you. There's junk that's holding you back. You weren't, you weren't meant to be like that. Okay. That's the one we were going to pour on the table. We're going to leave that stuff behind. But some of you need to go to freedom ministry and do that. You know what else? Life groups are a part of that. You don't even realize that. Life groups are a part of cup number two. You know why? You were made to do things in life one to another. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There, there's a process in your deliverance that God wants you to make friends in a church close enough to them that you could talk to them in an open way as a one another and help get Egypt out of you. Okay, the third one would be you're living on purpose. That's where life teams come in. You were created for a purpose. You weren't meant to just sit there and just say, praise God for first cup. You were meant to go to third cup and say, I have a purpose. I'm not just meant to be set free. I'm meant to be living on purpose for him. And then the fourth one is, praise and worship. We're here to worship God. And so we get together on a weekly basis to worship our God together. And not only that, we're on mission to go get more people to worship God so they can start with the first cup. It's kind of interesting when you understand the philosophy of the church. You're like, it's not like we're just trying to take up Tuesday night with a life group. You know what I'm saying? There's actually some purpose to this. Additionally, in the Passover moment, they would take salt water and parsley. And they would take this, and this is part of the Passover meal, and they would dip it in there two times. And they would say, this symbolizes, this is interesting, they would say that we were born again, that God brought us through the Red Sea, and God brought us across the Jordan. Isn't that interesting? You say, well, that's not salt water, though. But here's why it was salty, because they'd say, he got us out of slavery, and that there was tears in slavery. And then they'd also remember the people that died in the Red Sea that were following them, the people from Egypt that died there because men lost their lives and that made them sad. But they'd remember that God delivered them. The food was preaching to them. And so all these things are going on. And then they would take the bread. They would take the bread and they would take three pieces of the bread. They would put it in the, the, the cloth and they'd take the middle piece and they'd put it in there and they'd break the middle piece and then the father goes and hides it around the home. During the meal, the father says to the children, you can now go find the middle broken piece of bread for you. And the kids run around the house searching for the bread. And when they find it, they get a great reward and they bring it back. I mean, you, you, you think about this and you think about that we have three pieces of bread, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The middle one is broken in half, hidden, buried. It is found. And then there's great rejoicing. The pearl of great price has been found. Do you understand the symbolism and where all of this is pointing? The food is preaching. Then they would take Brussels sprouts and say, the devil made those. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. I just made that. I've seen if you're paying attention. I don't like Brussels sprouts. I don't care what you put on them. All right. So you're like, he did? <laughs> no. He took horseradish. This is true. All right. They took horseradish. Not like you're like, oh, horseradish. I love horseradish. Nasty, bitter horseradish. And they put enough into each child's mouth so that it made their eyes water and cry. And they'd say, you know what that is? That's like being in sin. That's like being in bondage. That's what sin is like. It may look good in the cup. It's going to kill you. It's going to make you cry. It's going to bring pain. It's going to bring misery. And we thank God that we are no longer in the pain and the misery. 
As soon as that was done, then they would take uh, an applesauce-type concoction with nuts and applesauce, and they would give this to the kids right after the horseradish, and they'd be like, this is sweet for you. This is the goodness of God. The goodness of God, the ways of God are better. It's, it's, he got you out of Egypt. He will get you out of your sin. And the things of God will be sweetness to you. It will taste good. You will enjoy this. There's such a, do you understand? Like there's such a object lesson that's being done here. There's school teachers here that are just resonating with this. They're like, yes. See, because our tastes and our holiness are trained at the table. Okay, and so he was training them. God was tasting them and, and training them in holiness and training them to stay away from them. Now, this is not part of the, the ceremony. There's one last thing. We'll get to the lamb in just a moment. But I would challenge you at your dinner table. You say, well, what do we do with all this? Why not think of different ways that you could illustrate things with food? Why not cook those meals that bring people back to the stories of your family? Why not be able to do things like even at the dinner table, ask your kids like, or your grandchildren, go look for anything in the house and bring it here and we'll tell you what the story is. And they go and grab that item and they bring it to you. And they say, why is that there? Oh, that's there because that was your great grandfather's from the farm and we were on a farm. Hey, this there. You know, I just thought the other day, um, just, just recently I said, I think I want to get a bowling pin and put it in my office. And they're like, why do you want a bowling pin? And I was like, because my grandfather, when he moved from North Dakota, his first job in Minneapolis, he was a bowling pin setter. And I never want to forget like how far our family has come. He literally set up bowling pins. And I think about where we are now and enjoying the things of life. And I don't want to forget that story. Okay. So maybe you could go around the room and they could say, well, what, what is that for? And you're like, I don't know. Your mom just wanted it. You know, we'll sell it. You know, I don't know. My thing is, if it doesn't have a story, why keep it? Right. Do you realize that after a tragedy, you know what happens? People look like after a hurricane or a tornado, you know what they look for? They don't say, I wonder where the end lamp is. They say, where's the thing that means something to me? Did the vase make it that grandpa gave us? Did our pictures make it? The things that have meaning. So maybe you could have a game with that and you could tell the story. Or maybe when you eat the food, like stuffed cabbage, you tell the story again so your children know it and your grandchildren know it. And the story goes on and on and on. The last thing with the Passover, there was a lamb that they would eat. And as I close, it was one lamb per household. Exodus talks about it in Exodus 12. It was, they were commanded to take one lamb per household and to eat it and to put the blood on their doorposts. But the Bible moves it forward and Caiaphas in John 11 says this, it wasn't just a lamb for a family, it moved forward to a lamb for a nation. It says, you do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He didn't say this on this own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation because Jesus is the lamb that died for us. So it was a lamb for a household pointing to Jesus. And then Caiaphas says, how about a lamb for a nation? But then John the Baptist takes it to another day when he saw Jesus coming and he said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The lamb for a family, the lamb for a nation, the lamb for the world. Man, let the food preach. I'm praying that we'll be more creative. I'm praying that as we read the Bible, we won't skim over those things and we'll understand what it says to us and we'll be able to taste and see that the Lord is good. So Lord, I just pray right now that we'd let the food preach, we'd hear it, we'd live it, we'd do it, and you'd speak to us. Thank you for this, Lord. A lamb for the world, a lamb for the world. Thank you, God, for paying that price. 
Thank you for all the things that point to you and thank you for churches that point to you and lead people to faith in Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen, amen, amen.